0: Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast.
1: Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all of the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways. I do some other stuff. But most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions. All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and posted on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just join at the $10 and up level. Stay tuned for that post and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time for this. I understand you have a show to play pretty soon.
2: I do, yeah. I gotta go rock rock the Germans. <laughs> You're a trooper. Yeah. I'm I'm a hard worker, bro. That's all I do. <laughs>
1: well, I, I gotta say, you guys, you guys have been a band. It, I, I still think of you guys as a newer band because I'm old. <laughs> but you've sure. been a band for like what 17 years now, right? Something like that.
2: Yeah, seven, 17 in October. It's crazy.
1: Who like what a wild world where the Devil wars Prada is almost 20 years old.
2: <laughs> I think we were planning on getting a year out of it so <laughs> it's pretty nuts.
1: So what what keeps you going and how do you feel about being kind of, you know, one of the, you know, elder statesmen
2: of your mm. kind of scene? <laughs> uh I don't like or dislike that, I guess, but I I still think of us as pretty young too. You know, we like came up with with Under Oath and Aslay Dine and stuff being our influences and switch and stuff like that, but um uh, what keeps us going? I guess it's just like being creatively bored and wanting to keep doing stuff. You know, the same same way that we first started out doing it. So sometimes it hits, sometimes it misses, but the action is pretty fun, I guess.
1: Well, let's quickly promote the new album. We got a new album called Color Decay out. Want to make sure everyone is aware of that. I've listened to it maybe once, aside from the singles. And what mm-hmm. it seems to me is like. It feels like this is kind of most of the eras of the band kind of all in one album. You've got some heavy stuff, you got some more kind of rock stuff and some mellow stuff and atmospheric stuff. Where were your heads at going into it?
2: You know, I think when we did our last album, The Act, we kind of were like, if we don't make this album, we're probably just going to break up. Like We had kind of hit a brick wall with stuff and we wanted to do another zombie EP and had started writing some stuff for it and just didn't like the way it was coming out and it's such a treasured album for us that it felt right. kind of blasphemous to just screw with it. So we made this album, the Ag, It was super experimental and we were like, let's just put it out there. And like, if everyone hates it, we'll just like move on. No harm, no foul. We've had a good career. And a lot of the songs on it actually popped off like chemicals. So you, you
1: were, you were at the point where like you might've called it a day back then.
2: It's hard <laughs> to grind it out for that long. So yeah. I don't know if it was that extreme, but, um, you know when when you've been pretty relentless the whole time it it can be fatiguing i guess so but th- coming into this album we had already done that you know we have already made so many things that people have liked and disliked and maybe it's a sleeper or maybe it never connects and so i don't think that we were necessarily scared of doing something different quote unquote but it was more just like how how did we do it the first time you know like taking all the parts of genres that we enjoy and kind of crafting a new one how can we do that again rather than try and repeat the same stuff we've done in the past
1: well you guys have always had a vision for what you're doing and you were one of the first bands to kind of change things up um what do you think i mean i guess uh i don't want to talk shit on any specific bands but there were a lot of bands from your era that weren't really musicians. They just wanted to be in a band, if that makes sense.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: And it feels like you guys were musicians in a way that a lot of people back then maybe weren't. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it totally does. All of us, like I, I think it's generational. Like we didn't really have the ability. Like you obviously know Joey, like we wouldn't have been able to make a record that sounded like that without him in that era. We were just literally musicians um, playing in VFW halls and, Um, churches and stuff like that so our focus was not making like a cool sounding record it was like playing shows and the only way people liked you at shows is if you were good at playing and all the guys in the band were kind of like from all these other local bands like this was probably most of our like third or fourth band that we had all been okay so maybe that's part of it like there was really no like even under oath and stuff felt so disconnected from our reality that we weren't even aspiring to that where I do feel like that changed a little bit with us, where people are like, oh, I could really do that. We literally could not even picture that, you know, playing music for a living.
1: Right, right. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's easy to sort of forget that um, maybe by 2009, 2010, you could be big as a metalcore band. But when you guys were starting, you kind of couldn't really. Like that wasn't really an option.
2: If you were um, like Killswitch or somebody, but, you know, they had radio success and. And they were much more of like a rock metalcore band. The stuff we were doing was much more focused on like a lot of the hardcore bands and like straight edge bands and stuff that we were playing with. And then just like putting keyboards and singing and stuff on top of those like beat down breakdowns and stuff. So
1: that Dayton scene back then was fucking wild it was crazy how did you guys fit in (laughs) with that
2: (laughs) we were so young that people were pretty nice to us like i mean we had some like crew beasts and stuff like that that shit was no joke but yeah it was scary (laughs) (laughs) cincinnati and everything yeah but um i mean it made you tough i guess and then we went on we did this tour in like 2008 sounds the underground with like Guar and chimera and, and etid and a bunch of other like i marth and we got roasted like every day on that so it just like that did thicken our skin i guess a little bit just getting used to that right well you were one of the first
1: bands to kind of change things up also like you know, maybe like 2011, like with Dead Throne and, you know, kind of around mm. that era, that was actually kind of the peak of shitty generic, you know, like Christian metalcore bands. And, and that was when you probably could have made the most money and had the most kind of commercial success repeating that formula. But you guys are already kind of started to move away from it around then. Tell me about that.
2: I think, you know, we haven't always been the best with the business side, but I think in hindsight now, that's been a little bit of an asset in that our primary focus was always like the creative side of it and, and the shows and, and connection like to the fans, um, I think there was a couple years, like, you know, I won't roast like any of our albums because people like them and I don't like to talk bad on stuff that people like, but there's a few things that I probably would have done differently, but, um, you know, it's just part of the journey. It's hard to like, it's hard to criticize yourself when you actually were doing the best you could in that time. I don't think we knew how to, um, to do what you're describing though, or we probably would have, you know, we just, (laughs) We we had been batting hundred for so long that uh I don't think we felt invincible. It was just we really didn't consider like oh something couldn't pop off if if we liked it. So there are some good lessons in there, you know, learned and definitely me personally within the band. I'm much more focused, especially now on like the marketing side of it. And like you know, once we have the song done, so like how do we best? Put these out in the world in a way where people can absorb them the best, you know, and not just, you know. I mean, you have to be smart nowadays. You can't just like put a record out and hope people listen to it. That's just not really how it works.
1: (laughs) Right, and you know, labels don't have the same kind of pull as they did fifteen years
2: ago. Sure, although I I do kind of think like with any company of any kind, you if it's your company and you own it, you have to be like on the ground floor with every decision, otherwise. You know, you're the last one who's going to be blamed for it. So,
1: yep. And no label is going to care about you as much as you care about yourself, no matter how good the label is. Yeah, it's impossible. It just never
2: will. Yep. That's true. Yeah.
1: Um, but I think that experimentation, even if some of it maybe didn't work out the way you wanted it to or whatever, I think that's why you guys have the kind of loyalty that you do now, because... If you look at a lot of bands from you know your era, very, very few of them are still around now and are like respected in the way that you guys are.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I we've always been kind of a fan first band and a live show first band that's always been our sort of like core focus. And so, um, even though we'll do some weird stuff on the records and stuff, if we play a song and it doesn't land, it's just probably out of the catalog in our mind from then on. But I do think. I don't know. I feel very connected to our fans. They have a lot of really personal experiences and you can, you know, you hear that so many times it does start to seep into you of like, people do take this stuff more seriously than you might. And so you kind of do have a responsibility to, you know, I don't know, respect them, I guess with that. You
1: You always hear bands say like, Oh, we wouldn't be here without the fans. And sometimes maybe that sounds kind of corny, but it's true.
2: Oh my God, you won't won't make a dollar. (laughs) Nobody will be at your show.
1: That's why I, whenever I do a Twitch stream, I always like thank everybody who showed up because they could be doing anything with their time. Yeah. They chose to hang out with me and I'm like sincerely grateful for that.
2: Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Actually, like I talk a lot about that within my group of like, we'll be lucky if we get five minutes of somebody's time a week. So what do we want to do with that five minutes? People don't care about everything you do and pay attention to it all the time, you know? You need a quick pitch, especially
1: now with, you know, your fans are adults. It's not like back in my space when everyone's 15, just like living and breathing this stuff. They got families and kids and jobs and shit. Their life doesn't revolve around music anymore.
2: Literally, literally. Yeah, they might be. You might be their entertainment once a month. So if you screw it up, they're not going to come <laughs> back. <laughs>
1: well, you you'd also talked about the live show. What really converted me? I saw you guys on Warp Tour. I think it was 2009, maybe 2010. And Sounds right. I was fucking blown away. And I like, I don't really care that much about watching bands. Um, it was sure. in either Columbus or Cincinnati. I don't remember which. And you guys fucking destroyed that place in a way that like <laughs> no other band of that, like you guys were still a pretty young band then that was nuts.
2: Yeah. That, that tour literally made our whole career, honestly, in a lot, it, it made our whole scene, honestly, because I think, Oh eight, we had like Us and Bring Me and August Mars Red and A Day to Remember and a couple Pierce of Ale, a couple of these, you know, those are all heavy hitters now. And still are yeah. just kind of like, you know, Kevin was very cool about seeing that a new generation was coming in and not being afraid to piss off like the old, old people who were, you know, not wanting that to be there. Yeah, right. he was pretty revolutionary with that. I mean. I also saw. I don't
1: remember if it was before or after that. You guys played some kind of secret show at the basement, which I also saw.
2: Yeah, we did. A, it was like an underplay tour, um, like three shows. I think it was called Back to the Roots Tour. So we did oh, that's like three right. That's shows what it was. Yeah,
1: playing a show like that at the basement is one thing, but controlling a crowd like that at three p.m. You know, in <laughs> a parking lot is another. How do you like? I, how do you kind of bring that same energy to a huge venue like that?
2: I mean, we, we are pretty crazy in our heads. Like when we go onto a stage, I expect to be able to dominate that space. Like that is my mind. I'm almost like an athlete or something. Like I don't go out there expecting to lose. I don't want to know the odds. Like I don't need the spread. <laughs> I expect, you know, I, you don't even have to like my music, but I will get you to have fun. And so I've, I directly correlate the years that the band was successful and the years it wasn't with our ability to have fun on stage and convince other people to do that with us. Because that's really all you have. It's like, you know, you're an entertainer at the end of the day. If people aren't entertained, they don't care about your, like, weird riff or something. They don't <laughs> care. Do that good. No. 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 <laughs>
1: They don't care. They just they want to have fun and people lose sight of the fact that this is the entertainment industry.
2: Yes. You're here to entertain people. Oh, hundred percent. It needs to be authentic, I think, to really like have longevity. Sure. But it's still got to be fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I feel like people lose sight of that. And I think that's a big part of why kind of a lot of the newer stuff isn't hitting the way that Metalcore and Metal in general was 10 or 15 years ago, because a lot of it's not fun.
2: Yeah, that's true. And that I mean, doesn't Metallica, mean you have to be goofy, it's hilarious, but it's... bro. Like they look cool, you know. <laughs> if you're coming in, you look like a like old man weirdo. Nobody wants to watch that.
1: <laughs> I mean, Dave Mustaine. You know, you say what you want about him, but he's always
2: entertaining. Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I'm going to watch any YouTube video that pops up. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, how do you feel about spending so much time on the road now, as you know, an adult? Is that? I mean, it feels like mm-hmm. that would be really tough.
2: It's hard, but also just taking the pandemic off, I think we all kind of like fantasize, like, maybe I won't do this forever, you know, maybe we'll slow down and, and do everything like that and live a more normal life. But once we had that, you realize how addicted you are to that rush and that sort of experience. And it's not just that it's really a fraternity, like, you know, especially we've had so many people come in and out, the dues that we have here We all love each other. We want to be here together, doing this all the time. So, I was saying when I get back on the bus, every time I'm like, I I hate this thing fits like a glove. You know, (laughs) I don't want to live in this little coffin, and yet I seem to want to. So,
1: (laughs) hey, at least it's not a van.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm probably all set on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, van living in
2: a van in your 30s. Yeah, it's rough. Kind of rough. (laughs) Yeah, but people do it. They do. I commend them. That's very respectable. But it ain't for me.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.
1: go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to distrokid for sponsoring this episode. So one of the things that people ask often of the band, including me is like, sure. Make more heavy shit. Mm. How do you feel about that? When you hear that?
2: Um, I mean, we made zombie too. So we did, we did hear that.
1: Which was amazing.
2: Thank you. To me, that felt like a really sort of BDE move that I was a little scared to make because I was like, I know I love that record. Our other guitar player, Chris, wrote almost all the guitars on it. It's one of my favorite, you know, records I've ever heard. I know how precious it is to people. So knowing that it was like really scary to kind of come in and not one up it, but like do something that can be a contemporary version of that. But. I like the guys are very, very talented and they crushed it. And, um, I'm proud of doing that. And I think that was, to me, that was a reassurance to the fan base of like, we're never going to be one thing. So even if you don't like the most current thing that came out, we're going to keep you guessing. We're always going to do something different. You know, I think a lot of people thought color decay was going to be really heavy. And I was like, no it's emotionally heavy. It's pretty, you know, uh, tough to listen to at times, but that doesn't mean it's what we're going to do next. And it's more just like a time capsule, I guess, of what we're feeling in that moment. Yeah. It doesn't bother me though.
1: Well, it's cool to have, I would think anyway, that it's cool to have people wanting anything from you. You know what I mean? Like the worst thing (laughs) is that people wouldn't care.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, like that was the payback from doing the last tour that we did and, and we smashed it and it was like, man, like we really got to keep doing this because <laughs> you you can definitely find out this this might be over.
1: <laughs> sure. So do you see yourself doing this when you're, you know, like 50 years old?
2: Yeah. In some capacity. I mean, I'm like 34 and I'm jumping around like a 20 year old now still. So I just, I really like it. I like entertaining people. I like, Connecting with people, you know, we had like a roundtable meeting before we made this record, and we were like, kind of like, you know, it's so lame, but we do this stuff, like put your goals on a whiteboard, and then at the end, see if we we got them. And one thing for me was like, I just want connection with people. Like there are certain songs I sing that are very emotional to me, and feeling that in the crowd is really therapeutic for both sides. And so, yeah, that, that I can't imagine not wanting to do that when I'm 50, I would miss that sort of thing. You mentioned
1: connecting with people, which to me is, is kind of different from wanting attention, if that makes sense. Mm. Do do you know what I mean? mean... People are addicted to attention, but that's kind (laughs) of a different thing.
2: Yeah, I think I'm an egomaniac, but I don't need attention (laughs) at all times. Like, I I think highly of myself, but I don't crave validation, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) if all you guys wanted was validation, you would do things very differently.
2: That's true. That's true. Yeah, I think it's like, um, you know, especially when someone is really being vulnerable lyrically, uh, I do feel a sense of Compelling to deliver that message effectively, like with my voice and and with my songs, and so I feel like the feedback directly relates to that. You know, it's almost one to one. The more honest and raw you are, there, so yeah, I guess that's part of it. I don't definitely don't need like attention or validation. I feel like that's an unnecessary evil. That's part of making a business out of it. Is you know, I run all the socials, and you know, like you literally know all the games you have to play and stuff. But yeah. It doesn't bother me. It's it's more just a means to an end to do what I like. I don't like do it for the attention. I guess
1: that's kind of how I feel too. Is like I like having conversations with people and I like sharing ideas and having my ideas challenged and challenging other people's ideas and stuff. If all I wanted was views, I would do things very differently. Oh yeah, I think that that's really a fundamental difference. Maybe I'm kidding myself, but I feel like being addicted to like attention and clout is a very unhealthy thing that will lead you to do a lot of shitty stuff that is probably not good for you as a human. But connecting with other people feels like a very healthy thing to me.
2: Oh, big time. That's why I was looking forward to this conversation. I mean, like, I think you always speak your mind, honestly. And there's a really... I'm the type of person that says like, if you're getting offended by something, that means you have an issue and not the person that said something because, you know, that's your own insecurity manifest. I always thought it was funny when you like rib on us. Like <laughs> He's right. He's right. Well, I'm glad.
1: You, I, I, I appreciate you, you know, taking it, you know, in stride. Yeah. Feel free to talk shit about me anytime you want. I'll take it too.
2: <laughs> I got nothing bad to say. I think you're a funny guy.
1: I appreciate it. I think that that's kind of the difference between people who have like a healthy ego and people who don't is uh, the ability to listen to somebody, you know, criticizing you or even somebody talking shit and either let it go and just be like I don't give a shit what that guy thinks or to say hmm maybe they're right. I mean there are people that have left me really shitty comments that as much as it stung I was like actually right.
2: Yeah, valid point. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Wish you would have said it a little bit more nicely, but you weren't wrong.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm the type of person that I had a lot of friends growing up. You know, I had a good one, but like I got ribbed pretty early. I'm not that big of a dude. So, you know, I just learned to take it on the chin and um keep going. And I mean my band is called the Devil Wars Prada. You've seen the old photos. It's like I've heard everything there is. So there's nothing someone can say now <laughs> to hurt me. <laughs>
1: I do love those old scene photos which I mean obviously those are <laughs> from like 2006 or something like Yeah. yeah. But uh it, it's so funny it's so different from how the band is now or even was like a couple years later.
2: Oh it's so it's so funny. I think sometimes like there was definitely guys that that bothered them more than others like they want to move beyond that legacy but i'm like i don't really care man it's
1: hilarious you guys should do another photo shoot like that find some old rocket shirts on yeah. eBay.
2: <laughs> yeah i'm serious yeah. you should do that it'd be fucking amazing <laughs> and hilarious that
1: shit would go viral i guarantee it
2: we should yeah maybe i'll do that for the next next tour announcement i'll go find that that'd be hilarious <laughs> get your scene hair wig yeah yeah so good <laughs> well how do you kind of look back
1: on those years, because there was like a lot of kind of fun times back then. It was like a cool, lighthearted kind of fun era. At the same time, it was like maybe the fakest era for this kind of music, like a lot of fucking phony shit, a lot of, you know, people chasing cloud, a lot of people who wanted to be, you know, seen famous and having other people write their songs and all that kind of shit. A lot of fake Christian bands. Sure. How do you feel about that era in hindsight?
2: In hindsight, a lot of it is very flattering to me personally, just because I remember like the garages that we came out of and like, dude, I'm from like a little small town outside of Dayton. So I'm like literally just a dude, you know what I mean? It was never going to work out. So the fact that in a lot of ways, us and Joey, I give so much credit to Joey, like he was a genius and a mastermind. And like we created something really special that was emulated over and over and over and over again. I think at the time, even sometimes I'm like, man, are they really jocking that? But like, it's super flattering now that you would make something other people would want to, would want to do as well. But yeah, I mean, I think I didn't hang out with a lot of those people back then. I was mostly hanging out with like, you know, the Data Remember guys and and the abr guys and the bring me guys and architects and like all these dudes that we had grown i hung out with caleb shomo a lot too it's like all these people that we were friends with that we started playing with that was more my like scene of kids i was hanging out with so i just didn't even really know any of the other people i was like whatever do your thing i guess
1: <laughs> right well i won't keep it too much longer because i know uh you got a show to play in a little bit but Tell me, like, where do you see the band's music going in the next, I don't know, five years? Do you even know? Like Mm. you said, you write down these goals and stuff. So it seems like you're kind of thoughtful about this, but where do you think things are going to go?
2: Well, I like to give credit where it's due. There is definitely a pathway. Um, I know a lot of people rib the octane stuff that people do, including me. (laughs) But sure, as you should, it's hilarious. But there are a lot of bands doing it creatively. Like I love that song Animals that Architects did that really just, to me, it opened up a pathway that never existed. You know, I grew up on like Limp Biscuit and Corn and Deftones and Blink. And that was sort of my introduction to aggressive music on the radio. The thought that literally all of my friends and I could be somebody else's introduction to that stuff is pretty cool. I think of it as just kind of one leg of the hydra you know it's really not the primary goal for us obviously you hear the record that's not like most of our goal but i like to see things that not necessarily are more accessible but are just creatively challenging um john is a genius writer i mean the guy is psychotic and like the way he crafts choruses that are a little more gripping than what other people are doing is really exciting for me. So, but I'd like to do some heavier stuff too. I have a lot of projects cooking up basically. So we'll probably spend the next year with color decay and really hammer that out. And we got to do a tour on it now and, and see how some of these things go live. Um, But I think, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like in five years. I hope it's different though. That would be really boring if it was the same thing because the singles weed themselves out. We're only playing a couple of songs from each album we've ever done. So I hope it's new.
1: Right. I mean, at this point, you got so much to choose from. Yeah, that's true. Are you one of these bands that writes on the road?
2: We definitely have. We definitely have a lot. I think we're doing better at carving out space for doing it off the road. We kind of did a hybrid writing recording Set up for this record. Like we literally tracked everything but the drums ourselves, just in little Airbnbs and stuff that we had rented. And um, that was a really creative process. But um, uh, John, he I mean, he can't stop, like he's an addict, so he's constantly not an addict addict, but you know, he's addicted <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to right, he gotta be careful. <laughs> like <laughs> right. he's addicted to writing. John always, is like, an addict,
1: Jeremy stuff. tells all. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's already got some stuff cooking, but we need to focus, you know, we want to wait a little bit. So,
1: you know, being on tour, playing shows, it's like on the one hand, you have all this downtime. On the other hand, you can't really do anything with it. Cause it's, yeah, you know what I mean?
2: It's, fatig- it's fatiguing to do nothing, honestly. That's why I, yeah. I run the business for the bank. i I'm like, I need something to do, bro. <laughs> like, give me an Excel sheet. A lot of hurry up and wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Well,
1: I appreciate your time. I'll let you uh, get on with your day. Uh, good luck with the show today. Thank you very much for joining me and uh, make sure everyone checks out the new album, go see the double worst Prada on tour and uh, I will catch you guys next time you come through Seattle.
2: Thank you, I appreciate
1: you, man. All right. Take care. All right, my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us tag Finn McKenty. That's me and tag Deanna Chapman. That's a producer
0: 18 plus. Eastern, and you can listen at 2020-D.com SoundTalentMedia.com or on your favorite podcast app